Praise God. Thank you for taking time to join our online service today. Believe the Lord will touch you and bless you, grant you an opportunity to go and bless someone else. Sit back and relax as we enjoy music to lift every soul. Oh, 
even when I'm in trouble, God, all of my hell. I can't look to nobody but you, Jesus. It comes from you, God. Yes. You are my refuge and strength, my present help in times of trouble. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from Thank you very much. I know you have been blessed, but there is more, especially now as we turn to God's word. Our message today is um, a continuation of uh, a message we did a few weeks ago before we took uh, a break and turned towards uh, the necessary attention that was required uh, towards Easter. And so last week we um, took time to give an important deposit around the truths of Easter. Today, we'd like to pick up the message that we had left off. We had done two parts of this message entitled Cultivating Hope in a Time of Crisis. I'd like to do part number three today, and hopefully we can conclude this next week. In part number three, we will be focusing on um, service and mission, focusing on service and mission, and really dealing with the first portion only, service. In part one and two, we define the word crisis as conveying the meaning of disaster um, that is identified with synonyms such as catastrophe, calamity, predicament, emergency. This message had been based on Isaiah chapter 43, and verses 1 to 3. Today, we will be looking at Isaiah 41. So let's turn there just now. Isaiah 41 and verse number 8 and 9. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I took you from the ends of the earth. From its furthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. We'll be focusing on those two verses today as well as next week. Today, we want to start with verse Number eight. So join me in a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us once again to declare your holy oracles. I pray now that you will lead us and guide us. Grant us the ability, Lord, to convey from heaven that which you have ordained to be conveyed to all the people who are listening and watching. We ask that you will bless your people and lift them up from their various circumstances so they will have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We seek these mercies in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Cultivating hope in a time of crisis, part number three. So in part one and two, 
we had preempted the fact that this whole coronavirus pandemic is indeed a crisis. And to even say it's a crisis, we say that at that time is almost an understatement because the events that we have witnessed in the past weeks speak for themselves. The negative impact continues. But we're seeing some positives as many of our loved ones are recovering. But evidently, we have lost many. And so the result is that there's a continuous fear that we must handle. It's growing every day. As we hear of loved ones passing on and others battling for their lives. So this is not just something that's being unnecessarily repeated. It's the reality that we face. In part one and two, we talked about COVID-19 as having brought fear of the unknown as well as the known. The known in the fact that um, everybody has been aware that scientists have been giving us certain facts, and so there's quite a lot that we now know about COVID-19 and how to um, keep ourselves safe from it and how to help others stay safe from it. The unknown still remains that there are those surprising concerns regarding this whole uh, pandemic, questions that it is raising every day and posing to us as um, uh, people in this day. And these questions are also being posed towards our future. Needless to say, that our present and our future has been changed forever. And we have said, as we've been dealing with parts one and two, that anything unknown not only raises questions uh, about the future, but it actually, it actually raises questions of security for today. So we need to remind ourselves that we need to beat the fear. We need to overcome the fear or fears because there are many. And that's how we arrive at wanting to deal with the question of cultivating hope in a time of crisis. In part number one and two, we reminded ourselves of the fact that our understanding of the word cultivate has to do with nurturing, helping something to grow. So in this case, we want to look inside ourselves and see how we can nurture or help grow a sense of hope in spite of all that we face. So we've so far defined hope as the feeling of wanting something to happen and thinking that it could happen. A feeling that something good will happen or at least be true. This is what we find in the English dictionary. So hope has to do with this sense of optimism. There's this attitude of the mind that enables one to have a high expectation and a desire. And so I have said and emphasized in biblical terms, hope is the 
confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. So as we were considering this, we studied together Isaiah 43 verse 1 to 3 and observed and explained three key images. And those images had to do with um, the imagery of the waters, the rivers, and the fires. And essentially, we uh, boiled this down to saying the fact that God's people, who at that time uh, were remembering their own captivity in Babylon, were now to reflect on their various afflictions and recognize the fact that God was assuring them that in his presence, they were secure and that the waters would not drown them, that the, the rivers would not be an impediment. They would still cross the rivers. And we gave an example of the Jordan River that opened up and they were able to cross. We gave an example of uh, the Red Sea that opened up. They saw the waters, meaning the, the, the larger waters, the seas, opened up and they walked on dry ground. The fires in reference to some of the pain and the tribulation they faced. And we gave the example of the three Hebrew boys and uh, how God preserved them when they were thrown into the furnace of fire. So that whole imagery uh, of the fires and the, the waters, the fires and the rivers having to do with God rescuing his people in spite of afflictions they may face. So in summary, in part one and two, we considered the fact that cultivating hope in the face of a crisis would enable us to walk through, number one, the question of relationship. And that relationship is a relationship with God. And we explained that fully. Secondly, walking through the question of purpose and destiny. And in, the, in part two, we explained the question of purpose and destiny and establish the fact that you can find purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have purpose that's so real, so clear. And as you reflect on that purpose, it leads you towards destiny. Destiny giving you an ability to see where you are headed, what God has set you up for, and having the clarity that you have a sure destination to which God is leading you. And I trust that that will be your settled portion for today. As we now move on to deal with the third aspect, which is the question of service and mission. And I had uh, preempted that already. Um, so in dealing with the question of um, service and mission, allow me to lead us to that first portion of service. We begin with the definition. Service is about going beyond your personal needs. Understanding the fact that you can do something to help someone else. You can do something to make someone's life better. That's what service is about. So by definition, it is the action of doing work for someone else. The action of doing work for someone else. And that's what you will find basically in the, um, 
uh, in the dictionary. In the scriptures, the principal understanding of service is derived from um, usage of this term in the context of um, the work of a servant. So the term in the Bible that helps us to understand service is the term servant, which has several expressions in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And one of the most prominent expressions is the one that comes through as servant of God. Servant of God. So when people are in a relationship with God, they are referred to as servants of God. And it's not just people who carry a title. It is all children of God uh, who can actually have this applied to them. And I will illustrate as um, we have this discussion today. The term servant of God appears nine times in the Bible. Five times in the Old Testament, another five time, four times uh, in the New Testament. Let me start with the five times in the Old Testament. I won't refer to all of them, but one of those five times is where we are starting right here in uh, Isaiah chapter 41. Verse number eight. But you, O Israel, my servant, a context where the term servant is referring to a servant in relationship to God, servant of God. But all Israel, but you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. The Hebrew term used here is similar to um, the one used several other places within the Old Testament. For instance, when God referred to Moses um, earlier on in some of the passages of the historical books, he's referred to as Moses, the servant of Elohim. Ebed he Elohim in Hebrew. Moses, the servant of Elohim. He's referred to as a servant of the Lord. The Hebrew root there is, is a very, very common word, Eved, from which we have renderings like Avoda, Avoda. Um, and when you read the word Avoda, it literally means, watch now, it literally means work, worship, service. Now that is an important foundation for us to understand the question of service which leads to mission. Work, worship, service. In Isaiah 41, running all the way up to Isaiah 53, the term servant is extremely significant. So significant that sometimes it is seen as referring to um, the whole nation of Israel. Other times, it is seen as referring to individuals. And some of these individuals are servants of the Lord who are called to actually work directly for the Lord. Other times, these are individuals who are simply uh, children of the Lord, being part of the family of God. 
And that already means that you can relate with it today. So the significance of this term servant in this segment that we are considering, Isaiah 41, running all the way up to Isaiah 53, is actually very instructive. In the context of Isaiah 41, the term servant is specifically suggesting one who occupies a special position in God's royal administration of his kingdom. Just look at it again. There it is for you. And I caught one who occupies a special position in God's royal administration of his kingdom. So once again, the instances utilized here are instances where God is referring to the whole group of his children, Israel. Then other instances where it's individuals within the nation of Israel, individuals who were working for the Lord full time, such as prophets and, 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 and um, shepherds within the kingdom. Other times, just ordinary citizens who were God's children and um, are seen as being part of God's kingdom. One of those um, individuals of stature who was referred to again, for instance, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, is Moses. He is called Moses, my servant. Another one of those who was referred to like this in 2 Samuel, for instance, chapter 3, verse 18, as well as in 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 5 and 8, is David. There we see the rendering, my servant, David. So may I say to you that today, God may very well refer to you. If your name is John, he may say, my servant, John. And he doesn't mean that you necessarily carry a title as a pastor or a prophet or anything, but just the fact that you belong to his royal kingdom. But can you imagine for those whom now God calls to do his work and he says, my servant, John, or my servant, Walia, or my servant, Mwinde, uh, uh, or uh, my, my, my servant, whatever your name is today. You put your name there. God refers to you as special. And what God calls you becomes important. I trust you're walking alongside and you're following because this will help us today to set ourselves up for a level of engagement with God and his work that enables you to be able to fly high and defy the odds, whatever odds you may be facing in this life. In the New Testament, the same term, servant, is used numerously. Of course, the companion to the word abed in the Old Testament in the New Testament is the word doulos. The word doulos in the Greek there refers to servant. And in a number of instances in the New Testament, that word carries the idea of a humble level of nobility, a humble level of nobility, meaning the disposition is that of humility. Yet this is all noble. Yet it is all so high and lifted up lifted up. And it comes into the truth that Jesus taught about the fact that the way up is the way down. It's a humble level of nobility. Paul the apostle, 
referred to himself as a servant and sometimes a bond servant of the Lord. And so we see that throughout the New Testament, the word bond servant and the word servant used almost side by side would almost all the time be referring to somebody who was very, very devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, unreservedly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was understood in the New Testament times. So then somebody has said, being God's servant is an honorable position. As we watch the gallant professionals in the health sector, doing the kind of work that they have done at the front lines, at the front lines, serving the community, helping all of us during this coronavirus situation. I must say that we have seen some rare portrayals of service. So within society, we understand that service has to do with working, not just for yourself, but working for someone else. And um, the biblical uh, foundational areas that I've pointed to in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, lay that bedrock which you and I can now spring from. We're now ready to make some uh, consideration uh, of... um, Isaiah chapter 41, uh, verse 8, our focus for today. Once again, I read it. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I'd like to highlight two things today. Number one, true service is transformational. Secondly, true service is relational. Let's deal with the transformational bit. True service is transformational. That's a proposition I would like to make. And already I have made uh, reference to what's been happening in the wake of um, uh, COVID-19. And how we have seen the service of um, the frontliners, the service of the health workers and in the professional setting. And and their, their service has really gone out there to show that people can sacrifice one for another. And we're doing well to celebrate these individuals. We're doing well to, to do what we can to gather uh, these personal protective equipment uh, pieces to, to, to help them so they can stay alive because they're in danger of uh, being infected. They're, they're, they're really working hard. And we've seen the situations of, of Italy and Spain and, and um, what's been reported about those health officials who have ended up dying in the course of them doing duty. And now we're hearing um, that uh, the, there's a requirement uh, in a number of countries, including our own country, Zambia, that now... Uh, even after someone has died, they're wanting to do post-mortem uh, samples, uh, which they, they can refer to just to be able to see what else is happening, the, the, the danger that's, uh, that's there, not just at the time that they're battling to try and maintain someone alive, but even when uh, those pathologists are doing their final work, their lives are in danger. But they're serving you and I. They're serving humanity. They're doing something for themselves and for others. So when we talk about um, service 
being transformational. We say that service is transformation to self and to others. When you do service, when you do some work for someone else, genuinely, it transforms you. It changes you. And that is the reason why in life, when you have people who truly serve and help to do something for others, society becomes better. Immediately better. Because the principle is that when you do something for someone else, it already lifts you up. It already makes you feel good and even better about yourself. If there's something that was going on and, and that was pulling you down, the moment you go out of your way and help someone else, immediately there's a release in your soul. You begin to feel you're worth something. But in just reaching out and doing that for something for someone else, you've made someone else's life better. That's what service is about. And, and, and so God calls us to that place where he has already demonstrated service by leaving the portals of heaven, sending his son Jesus Christ to come and work on our behalf. And before I conclude this session, I will be making reference to Jesus once again as the ultimate example of service. But imagine God sending his son in this fashion to come and literally work for us. For certain Bible versions, Isaiah 41 is actually entitled the helper of Israel. Meaning God himself personified as one who is serving, as one who is helping, as one who is reaching out to us and lending a hand and saying when you're feeling like you're in the pit somewhere and uh, the situations of life are pulling you down and then you feel like there is no way you can carry on living and you feel like giving up on everything that is around you. God is stretching out his hand and he's actually saying, here, give me your hand. And today, beloved, wherever you are at, if you will reach out to God as he's reaching out to you, your life will be transformed. And the idea here is that true service is transformational. And God is not needing any change or transformation. It's you and I that are needing that transformation. But when we take his help, we immediately are transformed. In Isaiah 41 verse 8, Israel um, as a nation are in focus. And God is wanting them to observe a contrast with other nations. And he's saying to them, your position is different. Your approach must be different. And essentially God is saying, transform, change the way you look at things. Change the way you look at matters. Let me illustrate. Why is he focusing on them changing their thinking? It's because of what's happening in verses 5 to 7. In verses 5 to 7, the Bible says, The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith. And he who smooths with this, the hammer spurs one who strikes the anvil. He says of the, of the welding, 
It is good. He nails down the idol so it will not topple. Now, in case you've missed it, let me open this verse for you so you understand what's happening. In, in verses 5 and 6, there is a divine sarcasm and satire coming from God. He's looking at the nations and he's, he's taunting them and saying, look, look at what they're doing. The islands are calling one to the other. They're calling to one another actually for an evil intention. Here they are working together to do something evil, to work against God. They're actually smoldering and, and crafting and making little gods, idols, contrary to what God was calling them to do. And so, God calls out to Israel and says to them, as they're doing this, they are aware, these islands, they are aware that, that something is happening elsewhere, that there is, there, there, there is some action going on that they are conscious of. And so they are saying, okay, let's, let's be strong. More or less saying we can defeat this, this, this action that's going on around us. They are really saying they're fighting against God and they will defeat God. And God in, in, in this divine sarcasm says, hey, what are you up to? Do you really think you can manage? So let's read further. Uh, beginning now at Isaiah 41, verse 1. He says, Be silent before me, you islands. So he's addressing the same islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. So it's almost like God saying, okay, if you think you are up to something and you can, you can manage to, to fight and, and, and work it out, Come, come, let's meet at the place of judgment. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the, the enemies of, of God are working as well and thinking that they will overcome. And they are actually targeting God's people so that if they have victory over God's people, they will say God has failed them. Beloved, they may be enemies working around you. In this life, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And many times as believers, while we try to simply live our lives, there are battles that we are fighting. And I want to remind you that God is looking on and he is coming to help you. He is the helper. And true service that God renders will transform your situation. So let's come back to Israel. He says, you're not like others who are operating in fear. It seems like they're working together for something evil, entrenching idol worship. God says, for you as Israel, my children, my sons and daughters, you must not be afraid. And so that is what goes on in verse two, three, and four. Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him, calling him in righteousness of his service, his hands, nations, he hands nations, excuse me, over to him. He subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to wind-blown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed. That's where the Bible says, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. He pursues them. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? He says, I, the Lord, with the first 
of them and with the last. I am he. So the scenario here is that God is announcing himself as the helper, the one to serve and also save, lift up his own people. So the contrast here for Israel is that they were to transform their way of looking at life. They were to change their way of looking at life. When everybody else is in fear, they were being told, you must not have fear, instead have faith. And during this time of COVID-19, I must tell you that you can have a transformed outlook in life. Let this whole arrangement that has gone on across the globe be something that serves to help you to change the way you look at life because true service is transformational. As you look at how people are being kind one to another, the world and yourself as you're looking on should be able to look at life differently and begin to change. Hopefully, as we see what's been happening around the world, nations reaching out to one another, there is some transformation taking place. And that is meaning the fact that we can do better for one another. We can do more for one another. We as communities can work together better. And, and the, 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 the kind of culture that God expects around the church and around the society is one where a brother is reaching out to a brother. True service requires that you get out of your own wants and you dig in so that you can give to someone else. In fact, there's a very common scripture that comes to mind. Very common scripture in the New Testament in Luke chapter 6. Verse 38, which says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I've often taught and referred to that scripture and said, many people today think about that scripture only in terms of money. No, 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 no. The context of that scripture is not money. The context of that scripture in uh, uh, Luke chapter 6 is actually Jesus teaching service one for the other teaching forgiveness. And if you read from the earlier portion of uh, Luke chapter 6, he, talk, he begins to talk about loving your enemies, praying for, uh, for those who are against you, and so on. And, and, and the whole issue is service. And, and in service, God is saying, give. You take of yourself and you give. When you give of yourself, you give away something, you do not remain the same. And so he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will men give into your lap. The idea there is that you receive mercy as you give mercy. And it's, it's, it's got little to do with the money, the way people have focused that verse on money. And sometimes this is why we miss it in terms of service, because we always think in terms of, of, of what we, we do not have. And money is always the thing that we think we do not have. This is about you and the fact that deep inside you, God has placed the ability to hear him and to draw from him. When you draw from him, you have the capacity spiritually to go around and make a difference in life. And as we cultivate hope during this time of crisis, we need people who are given to service, people who are given to doing more for others, taking of what they have and passing it on so that there can be a transformation. I think this is a place that I can take you and I, uh, after we read verse 8, to the New Testament. First of all, verse 8, again, but you, O Jacob, my servant, you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, because Israel 
are chosen. They're chosen by the Lord as a nation. A change is required of them in how they look at life. They're not like anyone else. They are special. You are not like anyone else. You are special in God's economy and in God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Let's look at Jesus, the ultimate example of service in uh, the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 2, and since we just came from Easter, this is a good place to reflect uh, on this truth again. In Philippians chapter 2, here's what the Bible has to say. Beginning at verse number 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing. So he abased himself. He, he lowered himself. That's service. Service means you, you take your interest away and put someone's interest. The reason why people uh, wrestle and fight with one another, the reason why nations fight against each other, the reason why societies fight against each other, why people quarrel and, and they have all kinds of things going on is because they place self-interest higher than the interests of others. And those of us who are parents know that you begin to see a child growing and maturing when they can think of others before they think of themselves. I've always given the example of um, bringing a bowl of, 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 of sweets or, or candies in front of children and three, four-year-olds and how they run into there and each one wanting to get as much as possible. But you see, when those children grow a little older, you'll find that they'll begin to show that they can have someone else's interest first. Service is about that. And here Jesus, the Bible says, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, doulos, of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. The ultimate example of service. Service is transformational. If you will take up that role and choose to serve your brother. Husband, if you will choose to serve your wife. Wife, if you will choose to serve your husband. Brother, if you will choose to serve your sister. Sister, if you choose to serve your brother. And all wise on various layers of relationship. Having goodwill, I can tell you that when there is goodwill deep inside and you desire to serve, you never remain the same. And God will remember you because there will always be a way in which God returns the favor to you. And I will talk about that in my next segment as I deal with the issue of mission. 
So Jesus gives us that example. Let's come back to Isaiah 41 as we tackle the second and final item. So true service is transformational. Secondly, true service is relational. In Isaiah 41, verse number 8b, the Bible says, You descendants of Abraham, my friend. You descendants of Abraham, my friend. God calls Abraham his friend. There is a relationship. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In this time of so much crisis going on around us, we need to lift up service one for the other. Our economies have been hit hard. The next few years, nations must learn to genuinely share. The next few years, lenders and, um, and hedge funders and, and all kinds of people who are in the financial institutions will take center stage. What will they really do to help nations recover from this area of the crisis we have faced? It may go on for some years, but if there is genuineness and there is a good desire and there is a desire for service and good relationships are cultivated, there can be hope for nations and true service is relational in the sense that as nations, as blocks, economic blocks, whether SADC here in, in, uh, in, in, in Africa, Zambia and its nations, other nations around, whether just as an African Union or whether as, as a G7 or G20, whatever relationships work for particular nations. It is possible that if there is genuineness at the table of, uh, of negotiation, there will be uh, growth in service one for the other as humankind. But if that is missing, I dare say, then we are likely to see more, uh, a greater sense of suffering and, and pain for nations because those who can capitalize on the vulnerability of others can do so. And there will be people merchandising against other nations. And we need to pray that that does not become the case. May God raise hearts of service among the nations in the coming weeks and months and years as we seek to recover from COVID. And let me bring it down to, um, to, to local arrangements where it's a, a family to family or a company serving a family, uh, serving a nation. The way we serve one another in these sectors will be able to determine how we relate. True service is relational. James chapter 2. Verse number 23, the Bible says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You today, beloved, can be called God's friend. In Isaiah 41 verse 8, Israel is referred to and connected to the historical friend of God, Abraham. He says, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I think of a song that we sing in the church. I am a friend of God because he has called me friend. Jesus referred to the disciples that he raised 
At one point he says, I call you friends. If God can call us friends, we have the capacity to refer to one another as friends. Now, in Isaiah 41, we have a final reminder. And let me draw your attention to verse number 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Our friendship with God requires that we now gain strength to know that he's our helper and he will lift us up. My dear friend, as we close this service today, I want you to know, once again, you are not alone. During this whole time of turmoil, the Lord understands exactly what's been going on. And as you receive help from the Lord, may you reach out to someone else. May you reach out to someone else. And in the body of Christ, and in our society in general, God is looking for people who will apply their heart of service. And if we apply our heart of service, service is transformational, service is relational. We will be able to cultivate hope in this time of crisis. And the greatest friend you can have for your life is God. And I present him to you today in Jesus' name. I'll come back shortly after this song and I'll help you to connect with God.
Thank you for listening to God's word today. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here is an opportunity for you to turn your heart to him and you can become a friend of God. All you have to do is acknowledge that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I would like to help you achieve that by asking you to say this prayer, connecting yourself to the Lord. If you will say with me, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today as a sinner. I realize that I've gone away from your commandments. Today, I've heard your voice speaking to me, calling me back to you. I confess my sins. I repent of all the wrongs I have done. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come in. Be my Savior and my Lord. So that from today onwards, I will be your child. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for cleansing me. Help me now to live a holy life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear friend, if you've prayed that prayer, please go to our website, www.notmidassembly.org, or visit any of our social media platforms and indicate that you need help. Someone will pick up the communication with you and will help you. For everybody else, let us pray for God's power to reach you and touch you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to minister your word today. I pray for everybody that has listened to your word. Those that listen by radio, those that listen by watching uh, through uh, this medium, wherever they have been watching from, Touch them and bless them. Lift them out of their situations. Grant them that helping hand. May God indeed be your help today in Jesus' name. And let them cultivate, dear Lord, that hope during this time of crisis. And let transformation and relationship with you be their portion in Jesus' name. Let's join together to do the benediction. So beloved, the Lord bless you, keep you, cover you and protect you. The Lord go before you and grant you strength. And the redeemed of the Lord shall agree together by saying, surely goodness and mercy and wholeness, identity and destiny shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll feast at the table spread for me as I fix my eyes on Jesus, the Lamb of God, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shalom, beloved. See you next week.